Manusmriti is Sanskrit text dating back to 200 CE roughly and deemed by feminist anti-caste crusaders to be a regressive piece of writing is back in a political row. Despite the father of the Indian constitution Dr B R Ambedkar himself burning this text in 1927 as a symbolic rejection, Manusmriti keeps coming back to the contemporary political discourse. And this time as Tamil Nadu is gearing up for the state assembly elections of 2021, the text is in the eye of a political storm between the BJP and the Viruthalai Siruthaikal Katchi or the VCK. Now the row has to do with VCK's Dalit founder and Chidambaram MP Mr. Tol Thirumavalavan's comments on the book. A small clip of Mr. Thirumavalavan's speech from a web conference organized last month by the European Union Periyar Ambedkar Comrades Federation went viral on social media. Calling for a ban on the book, the clip shows him quoting from the book to say that it demeans women and this is a verbatim translation of what he said. Quote As per Hindu dharma all women are created by god as prostitutes they are prostitutes as per hindu dharma manu dharma the status of all women is less than that of a man end quote and kushbu sundar who switched to the bjp from congress only 2 weeks back jumped right in demanding an apology from him claiming that he has insulted women and also that there is quote and quote not a single word in the text that demeans women While the BJP's Tamil Nadu wing has shot down the row saying that Manusmriti is a quote-unquote non-issue as India follows a constitution, why is the text still dominating the political discourse? How is Manusmriti surviving today? Is it just the text or has it been imbued in everyday actions? For this podcast we spoke to Kavita Krishnan part of the All India Progressive Women's Association and Politburo member of the CPI ML and also the author of the book Fearless Freedom and Tamil Nadu based Dalit poet You're tuned in to the Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Shalpuri. Manusmriti, as we know, was revived around the colonial period to serve as a basis for Hindu codes or Hindu laws. But because it appears to be a text written by Brahmins for Brahmins and other upper caste men, it goes without saying that it's fraught with prejudices. Large sections of this text have been criticized for advocating for the restriction of rights and liberties of women and Dalits, and for treating them as properties. And for that very reason, rejecting this book has been a part of caste and feminist struggles. To that effect, 25th December is even celebrated as. Manusmriti Dahan Devas in some parts of the country as an open revolt against Brahmanism. And through writings and speeches, we know that people like Jyoti Bafuli and B R Ambedkar, both feminists and emancipators of the oppressed masses, have attacked Manusmriti, considering it to be in the way of equality. But time and again, the political sphere has seen a difference in opinions between right-leaning ideologues. and anti-caste or anti-aryan supremacy leaders when it comes to this book like periyar for instance who was a rationalist and whose self-respect movement had led to the criticism and also the burning of manusmriti on the other hand rss which is the parent body of bjp had famously said that manusmriti would be a good guiding document for the country shortly after the constitution of india had come into effect Even as we say that modern India is guided by the constitution which looks at everybody as equal citizens 70 years after the country adopted its constitution why is manusmriti still a part of the political discourse Ms Kavita Krishnan says that despite what the constitution says India's secular modernity has failed to face the realities of caste and other inequalities openly Um I think that basically there are two ways in 
which uh, the Manuskriti has uh, survived in modern India. One is, of course, that uh, it has survived right from the uh, time of the freedom struggle and the constitution because the RSS openly embraced it and endorsed it and said that, you know, this should have been the uh, this should have been the constitution of a Hindu India, mm-hmm. and instead you have the um, actual constitution of a secular India, and that is a travesty, and that should not have been there. So that you have the RSS actually writing and propagating all this. So there is an undercurrent in India which has actively been propagating the Manuskriti, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but on the other hand, I think that the other problem is a problem inherent to India's secular modernity which is that um, it has refused to face the reality of caste openly. Mm. So, you know, the constitution says there shall be no discrimination on the basis of caste. Mm. And it is almost as though, therefore, you're not supposed to acknowledge the existence of discrimination on the basis of caste. Mm. So the political, um, you know, politics in India largely, if you... um, rule out the um, Dalit movements and the women's movements and the left movements, they have refused to, uh, the uh, mainstream politics in India has refused to acknowledge uh, caste, the continuing continuing caste discrimination, right? Mm -hmm. So they have acknowledged caste only as a representational category, right? So saying, okay, in an election, you know, this caste, that caste, you know, this is a it's like as though it is a description description category or a diversity category and not a category of hierarchy and oppression, right? Mm-hmm. So as a result, you have, you know, school textbooks and so on, which do not acknowledge caste at all. Mm-hmm. They do not tell you that, uh, okay, you know, this is the reality that you have around you and why do you have that reality? Why is it that untouchability continues? Why is it that there is a notion of caste hierarchy? Where does it come from? Hmm. And, um, you know, the uh, so Manuswati has survived, therefore, as an unwritten, unspoken, you know, you don't have to have read it. Hmm. You are imbibing it even when you haven't read it. Now, coming back to the political face-off in Tamil Nadu, Prompted by a BJP functionary's online complaint to the cybercrime of the Tamil Nadu police, a case was registered against Mr. Thiruma Valavan under six sections of the IPC pertaining to outraging religious feelings and provocations with intent to cause riot. However, the case has been condemned by the DMK, the Congress and other parties of the Secular Progressive Alliance as well. And reacting to the criticism about his comment, Mr. Thiruma Valavan said, and I'm quoting his statement, quote, I only quoted Manusmriti, the BJP is spreading fake news to trigger clashes. End quote. He also reiterated that Manusmriti must be banned and that he will take the fight to the court if required. And Dalit poet Kutti Revathi lauded Mr. Thiruma Valavan for speaking up against this issue. <laughs> So, All people, women, Dalits, oppressed classes have and should fight against the Manuspriti. For years, people have opposed this and all sections of the society should do the same. Even Periyar has stood up against this. This text is very backward and needs to be opposed. I am very glad Tirma Vadavan has brought this issue. 
Usually we protested against an issue, but after a long time in Tamil Nadu, someone has stood up to speak up against a vice in the society, that is oppressed sections of the society. Kushbu should get to read it and she will then understand how discriminatory it is. She might be now commenting only from the Safran party's angle. And speaking of actor-turned-politician Kushbu Sundar, she delivered contradictory statements on the issue. While she said that there's not, quote-unquote, a single word that demeans women in Manusmriti, she also said that the book was irrelevant. And this is a statement that I'm quoting from an NDTV report. Quote, What was the necessity for Mr. Thiruma Valavan to speak or even refer to this book, which was written in the 17th century. Now, when the elections are coming up, it is absolutely irrelevant. Mr. Thiruma Valavan should be ashamed of himself. Either he should say that he will go by the book, which was written 3,700 years ago, or he should say that he follows the constitution of this country, end quote. Similarly, BJP Tamil Nadu unit chief L. Murugan said that it was a quote-unquote non-issue since India follows a constitution. But then why did challenging the text become such an issue? Have you been able to entirely discard ideas propagated in Manusmriti and similar books? Or are we simply whitewashing it? If not, quote the book directly, Ms. Krishnan says that somewhere there are scriptural sanctions in allowing problematic practices or ideas to exist. Certainly. And I, I would say that the uh, most uh, influential liberal commentators on Indian tradition have largely managed to whitewash the Manusmriti. So they have, uh, you know, you, you have texts, you have popular texts which are teaching you about your, about the um, Manusmriti, as not only the Manusmriti, but the Gita and uh, so on and so forth, mm. um, without acknowledging how caste really works in those, in those texts and in those stories. Again, I'll say here that I'm not just counting the religious texts, which are, you know, uh, telling you how you should live your life and so on. But even, say, stories, even powerful stories like the Ramayana or the Mahabharata, Mm. uh, I think the question is why there is so little discussion of how uh, caste is discussed in those books. How, how How did those texts respond to the debates of their time? So my point is that, you know, we should be seeing even the Manusmati as a historical text, as something that was responding actively to debates in its own time. Mm. Uh, and likewise for the Arthashastra or the uh, Kama Sutra and so on, mm. what were they reacting to? So, you know, if you look at Wendy Doniger's work, for instance, mm. she, is, she discusses it as a historical work in, con- in conversation with other works, in contention with other works and so on, right? Mm. So you are not, so it is not just a descriptor of the world as it was. Mm. Uh, It is an attempt to shape the world actively in a particular way. Likewise, uh, when we say, when we talk about the Manusmriti in modern India, we're not saying that modern India is living its life according to medieval prescriptions, Mm. okay? According to some ancient prescription. No, we are saying that... uh, there is an active attempt to shape Indian modernity. And in that attempt, uh, people have quite consciously used the Manusmriti in order to, um, you know, define what is Hindu-ness and what is Indian-ness. Okay. So if you look at uh, the debates uh, to do with the age of consent or to do with uh, women's education, 
um, you know, around Tilak and so on, mm-hmm. you realize that they have also uh, that, uh, you know, those who were, those are foundational debates about Indian modernity. Mm-hmm. And in those times, people used the, the idea that uh, women should not uh, be allowed to study, that women sh- needed to be controlled, that um, the, the, the caste, you know, the people from the working working caste, working classes should not be encouraged to study, that it would be bad for them, and so on and so forth. So you see these arguments being made by somebody of the stature of Bal Gangadhar Tilak, right? Where is he getting those from? He is uh, claiming scriptural sanction for saying those things, right? And naturally, the Manusmriti is one of the key texts. Again, the Manusmriti is not the only text. You find a lot of that even in the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm. But uh, the point is that I think the Manusmriti is something which is the most condensed um, and detailed text, which really puts it all in one place, you know. Mm. It explains to you what was seen as dangerous to the system that they were trying to create. So the fact that intercaste marriages were seen as dangerous, especially when it was a marriage in which a man of a lower caste married a woman of a higher caste. You know, hmm. that those marriages were seen as the most dangerous and those marriages were seen as those deserving death, um, where, the, where, the, where the oppressed caste man would be deserving of death. And therefore, then you look around you and you understand why in India the on, so-called honor crimes are not, they're different from the so-called honor crimes in other, other societies. Here, caste is an enormous factor. You know, it is not just... Uh, the fact of a love marriage that is punishable. Right. It is the fact that it is certain marriages that are punishable, certain kinds of love that are prohibited and punishable. And uh, you have to, you can't understand those if you don't read the manuscript. Oftentimes there have been calls to ban the text as it is a symbol of oppression. And Mr. Thiruma Valavan too has called for a ban on it. Can India as a secular democracy afford to be on the fence about such texts? Ms. Krishnan says that perhaps... More than a ban, we need to acknowledge how such a book shapes our reality and why that should change. She says that the ideas of Manusmriti aren't lived through those who've read it. Rather, it exists in everyday practices. See, I think that, um, you know, in my ideal scenario, which is very, very far from where we are right now, in my ideal scenario, I would not say that, okay, let us ban so-and-so text or whatever, okay. I would say that, in fact, uh, there is a need to acknowledge how that text shapes our reality and why that needs to change. So instead of just saying, okay, evil text, which we don't really need to acknowledge, and we've kind of done away with it, I don't think we should make that mistake again. We shouldn't pretend. We've told ourselves this lie for too long that the Manuskriti is a dead text. Mm. It is not. It is a living text. And so we should uh, be encouraged to read it in context, to understand in context and understand exactly how regressive it is and how it is shaping not only our societies but ourselves. Hmm. And uh, therefore, I would, I would, you know, expect not only the, uh, you know, not only just, you know, like school children and everyday people and all of that, but even conscious us movement. To interrogate themselves, their own conduct, their own understanding. Hmm. You know, I when I read the Manusmriti, if I read it um, critically, as when I do a critical reading of it, hmm. 
it shines light. Uh, it shines a light on certain dark places in my own self, hmm. which I may not want to admit, which I may not know, uh, may may not want to acknowledge that they exist. You know, but the fact is that they have. They have. Uh, you 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 remember. You recall as a child how you looked at relationships. how you looked at your relationship with the world how you looked at people's relationships with each other mm-hmm. how did you think of uh you know um did intercaste relationships and the cross you know did they cross your uh, consciousness at all okay mm-hmm. did the fact that a somebody uh, who works in the house may use a different glass from somebody else who uh, you know those of us who live in the house did that uh, you know ever ring a bell these are uncomfortable things that uh, you are forced to ask yourself you know about the world around you we have to acknowledge that um, you know they're being reproduced and they're being kept in place by uh, structures today by political and economic and social structures today if you like listening to this episode please subscribe to the big story playlist for episodic updates we'll have on apple google podcast spotify geo seven and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms for other podcasts please log on to the quinn website and check out the podcast section for any feedback shoot an email to podcasts@thequinn.com thanks for listening log on to the quinn's website and check out our other podcasts 